I wish I could remember the uh, the gentleman's name that that sang it or that wrote it. Excuse me. He said, "It is well with my soul." Do you know what he was singing about? It's amazing whenever you understand the the background behind a song that the song means so much more to you. So this guy was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I think it was in the 1900s. And he had shipped his four daughters and his wife, if I have this straight, off to England. And uh, their, their transatlantic boat sank, and he lost his wife and his four kids, his four, four daughters. And so at one point, he was traveling the same route that his family had gone, and as they arrived to the area where that boat had, had sank, um, the captain announced it, and so he stood looking over the water, just kind of imagining what had happened, and the Lord gave him this, this song, it is well with my soul. It's okay with my soul. And he was able to kind of get over his, you know, you never get over everything, something like that, but he was healed from it as he was just given the song. And I want to ask you, this, I didn't, we didn't intend to sing the song in light of what we're talking about today, but they go hand in hand. I want to ask you today, is it well with your soul, what you've gone through? Can, I want you to stop and think, because all of us have gone through some terrible something at some point in our lives. All of us have, unless we're just young and we haven't had the opportunity to yet. But we all have gone through challenges in life, and God wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to put you back together again. Life breaks us down sometimes, doesn't it? It breaks us down. We almost feel like we've gone from being a built structure to literally dust on the ground because of the hammer of life that hits us. And God wants to rebuild our lives. He wants to rebuild your life. And so uh, let, let, let me read you this, this set of scriptures. It's kind of the, uh, the, the background for what we're going to be talking about today. It's found in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, all right, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, and so we're going back to Matthew, by the way, we were talking about suffering, and I don't want you to always think we're talking about negative things here, <laughs> we were talking about how to deal with suffering in our lives, and uh, and this was a scripture that kind of launched us into that two-Sunday uh, series, but Matthew 15, 21, it says, Jesus left there, he withdrew to an area, to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came. So a Canaanite woman, he's in Israel or, or close to Israel in Samaria, actually. And a Canaanite woman, that'd be like a Palestinian woman talking to an Israeli nowadays. That's kind of the, that's kind of the friction that, that would have existed back then. This Canaanite woman came up to Jesus, who was a Jew, uh, and cried, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. All right, so if you believe in God, you have to believe in Satan. If you believe in heaven, you have to believe in hell. If you believe in angels, you have to believe in demons. I mean, the, the good and bad of this world are clear as day or should be as clear as day. 
light and darkness. And so here, this, this woman's daughter, and let me tell you what, there's nothing more, there's nothing that brings greater suffering to a parent than to see their kids suffering. There's just nothing like it. It's the worst of the worst. Every good parent in this world would say, I would rather suffer than my kids suffer. I just take, bring it on, triple it. I don't want to see my kids suffering. Bring it to me, all right? And so this lady is, in, is just tormented because her daughter's tormented. And, um, and so we talked about how do you deal with suffering? So if you want to know that how to deal with suffering, you can listen to this on SoundCloud under the Life Worth Living Church. And we, you can go back to those two Sundays. But it says uh, here, this is interesting, verse 23, because we're moving on. It says, yet Jesus did not say a word to her. Well, that sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> Here's this poor lady. She's suffering, and Jesus doesn't even say a word to her. It would appear he didn't even acknowledge her. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he didn't look at her, but he didn't say a word to her. So his disciples, and remember, kind of pin that in your brain. That's number one. His disciples approached him and urged him, number two, send her away because she cries out after us. Okay, here's this poor lady. She's in suffering. These godly men, these church people, <laughs> what we might call hypocrites, all right? People, Christians are called hypocrites all the time. And you know what I am? I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> we're all, none of us are perfect. There's no way that you can think that we're all perfect, all right? So these church guys say, tell her to leave. They're getting on my nerves, and in this movie that you see tonight, you'll see the same scenario playing out. It's really interesting. All right? And so he replies, uh, he finally speaks to this lady, and he replies, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Bad news. I'm not going to help you. Or at least she could have under interpreted. Then number three, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whenever you get your reading sheet, I hope everybody's got one of these. This is not per family. This is per individual. All right, everybody. I want everybody to have these because it helps you read the Bible. I, you know, I, I always struggle. Where do I read? Where do I read? This, this helps you figure that out. But on Monday and Tuesday, it's, it's looking at these four things right here. So it says, I was lost. I was sent to lost sheep of, of the house of Israel. Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him. This lady was aggressive. Have you ever gone after God aggressively? <laughs> Have you said, I'm not stopping praying until I hear something from God? I am not going to stop. Or maybe you make up your mind about something else. But have you ever made up your mind and said, I'm going to do this until it gets done, until it gets fixed, and some, until something turns around? Well, this lady, she comes and kneels before him. Now, we can, we can talk all day long about the Bible, but kneeling looks like this. She came down and knelt before him. You got to picture this stuff. All right? The, has anybody ever knelt before you before? <laughs> no. This lady knelt before him. That, that would have had to have been strange, odd, unusual. She didn't care what people thought. Do you care what people think whenever you get with God? Are you worried about slipping up your hand in church? You come in here the first time you see people raising their hands, you're probably, my goodness, what's going on? Why do we raise our hands in church? Well, the Bible says to. Raise up holy hands. That's why we raise. Does it command us to? No. It's just as your heart 
is raised to the Lord, your hands should go up at the same time, you know? Because you don't care what people think as much as you care what your God thinks. All right? Praise God. So on the flip side, it was interesting. We were on this, uh, this youth outreach thing like a week before last, and it was really interesting. One of the kids said, I actually don't raise my hands because I was raising my hands because I was worried about what people around me thought. So it was kind of flipped. If you ever raise your hands so that you can look spiritual, don't do that. <laughs> you know, do it because you love the Lord. You're praising him. Total rabbit trail. Let's keep on going here. It says in, in um, verse 25, she kneels before him. She says, and I'm, I bet she cried out, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Verse 26, he answered, it isn't, here's number four, it isn't right for the children's bread, uh, to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Number four, like just one after another, don't, he doesn't answer. People are against her. He answers something that she doesn't like. Then he answers yet another thing, but this lady would not give up. Be a bulldog with God. Be a bulldog in life. I was talking to somebody and they were telling me, you know, I, I have these thoughts of quitting. And we all have these thoughts of quitting. You say, quitting what? Well, quitting this, quitting that, quitting God, quitting church. What is it going to take for you to quit? But I'm jumping ahead of myself. It says, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. She says, yes, Lord. I love it. She just has a rebuttal right away. She says, yes, Lord. She said, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall of their, off their master's table. And all of a sudden, a look on Jesus' face comes, and she sees she's broken through. She's broken through because he, he replies to her, Woman, your faith is great. <laughs> was Jesus being mean? No, he's, there's somewhat of a test there. Does God test us? You better believe he tests us. I mean, this world is full of tests to think in school. And here's a, I'm getting on a soapbox. But for us to think we're going to be in school and not test our children, that's crazy. How can you ever know if somebody knows what they know if you don't test them? they got to be tested. Life is full of tests. And God allows us to be tested. In love, Jesus was testing this lady. But you know what? He already knew her. He already knew she was going to come out with flying colors. But you know what? When you're tested and you pass, it builds your confidence. So it's not only for God, it's mostly for you to know, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's possible for me to get through this and win on the other side. Life is not, it's, it's not a bed of roses, is it? <laughs> There's good times. But there's also bad times. And God tests us. He allows us to be tested. So he says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you just as you want. And from that moment forward, her daughter was cured. Does God do miracles today? You better believe he does miracles. You know what the biggest miracle is? It's not the visible miracles. It's the stuff that happens inside your heart. When... You thought you couldn't do something and now you can do it. Or when you didn't have peace and all of a sudden this wonderful peace just blankets you. Or when you were totally unhappy, depressed, and all of a sudden you're full of joy and enthusiasm. What happened? 
God did a miracle inside your heart. Does God still do these miracles today? You better believe it. Absolutely. So let's just look at these four tests that this lady's faith underwent. And I want to ask you this question. Think think about this. Be really brutally honest with yourself. Where are the limits to your faith? At what point in this test would you have failed? Would you have stopped? Would you have said, oh, maybe I can't. People are against me. Things are against me. Or would you have pressed through as she pressed through? What is it going to take for you to stop having faith in God? Think about that. I think this is a vital question. I had this conversation with someone in this church this week because I asked this question every two or three three months. What is it going to take for you to stop serving God? And you've got, to, you've got to be prepared to answer that question and to face it whenever it comes to you. Because this person was struggling a little bit, and I asked, I asked this person, I said, what is it going to take for you to drop out of this church? You tell me. You tell me. And it, that question produced some strength inside this person. And they said, nothing is going to stop. <laughs> you know, you got to make up your mind. I'm not going to stop serving. And not that coming to this church necessarily represents serving the Lord, but it does go hand in hand. Not this church, just any life-giving church. What is it going to cause? What is it going to take for you and me to stop coming to church? What is it going to take for you and me to stop serving the Lord? But let's look at these four things. It says, Yet he did not say a word to her. So, and this, these are not necessarily in order. This is just how it happened in the order of the story. So I'll take it this way. But when you don't hear from God right away, is that going to cause you to stop serving God? What if, what if you go a week, you've been praying for something and you don't hear from God? Is that going to stop you? Is that going to stop your faith? What about a month? Is that going to stop your faith? What about a year? Is that going to stop your faith? Is that going to limit your faith? Think about it. Because some of us give up after four hours. <laughs> we pray, God didn't do it. He didn't come through for me. Shut up. Get back up and keep going. You know, be a little bit stronger than that. God is powerful. Why don't you be strong as well? Get your mind to it. Put some elbow grease and get going. But let me tell you what. When you don't hear God's voice, you need to be prepared for that because it happens. And it's usually not because he's not speaking. It's because we can't hear. All right. So the, 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 the problem is mostly with us. But let me tell you what. Jesus was put into the wilderness. The Bible says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And there he was there for 40 days, 40 nights. And the Bible says that he was tempted. It was a trial. It was, it was a difficulty for, for him. And of those 40 days, the only recorded time God or Jesus heard God's word was when he spoke God's word. So if you can't hear God speaking to you, you need to start speaking the word of God so that you can hear God's word. All right, because the devil was confronting and tempting Jesus, and Jesus every time would rebut the devil with the word of God. So if you can't hear God's voice, start speaking God's voice, because start speaking God's word, and you will hear God's voice through it. I think there's so much, so, so much to be said about that. How many of you guys talk to yourselves sometimes? All right? Crazy if you, yeah, people say you're crazy if you talk to yourself. I say you're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. 
All right, I think everybody talks to themselves. I was driving up beside a man. I was kind of looking over him. His lips were moving, and there was no music going on in that car. He was talking to himself, <laughs> all right? I talk to myself, and sometimes you have to talk to yourself. You have to say, get up and get going. You know, stand up, believe what God has told you. God has promised. He's faithful. Get going. You have to talk to yourself. You have to get yourself up, all right? And so how do we do that? Well, we got to read God's Word. What's God's Word? That Bible that you're holding right there. Man, if you're a Christian, you better be reading the Bible. If you're not a Christian, read it too. <laughs> Everybody should be reading their Bible. Why? Because you, you start receiving. You receive from heaven. You receive from God. It does something in your heart. Speak the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Speak the Word of God and practice the Word of God. Because the Bible says... Don't just be a hearer of the word and not a doer. That's a hypocrite, like we were talking about before. But be a doer of the word. Be a doer. So your faith is tested sometimes when you don't hear God right away. But here's number two. Um, these disciples of, of Jesus's, these, these godly stalwarts of the faith, powerful men of God, they said, send the lady off. She's bugging us. <laughs> you come into church and nobody said hi to me or... You know, somebody was sitting in my seat or, you know, I didn't get a call this week. You know what? Is that going to limit your faith? Is that going to stop you from pushing into God? No, man. Do not limit your faith by what other people do or say. You will always be let down by people. You'll be let down by me. You'll be let down by those around you. You'll be let down by family. You'll be let down by friends. Not all the time, but just here and there. When you needed somebody, your own wife, your own husband will let you down sometimes. That's why our faith is in God and not in people. We have faith in God. And be prepared. You go ahead and trust people, love people, talk to people, but always be aware they, they have their bad days. <laughs> we don't do things on purpose sometimes, but you let people down. Is that going to affect your faith? You know, Christians aren't always the most encouraging people in the world. They're, all, they're not always the nicest people in the world. They're not always the most non-judgmental people in the world. You know what? You got to get past you know, what, what people do or say. Don't let your source of faith be in people. They'll fail you. Number three. I was sent, so this is what Jesus says to the lady. She says, I, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what he was saying there is it's not quite time for you yet. I'm focused on the, on the people here in Israel, and they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're going to spread the word to the ends of the earth. Right now, I'm focused right here. And what he was saying is it's not quite time yet. He wasn't being mean. He was just saying, it's not quite time yet. And I want to ask you, when you pray for something and God says it's not quite time yet, are you okay with that? Are you okay to wait? Because God, let's face it, life is more about waiting than just about anything else. We wait to finish our college degrees, or we wait to get healing, or we wait for our marriage to be put back together, or we wait for this, we wait for that. Is your faith going to be impacted by having to wait for God? Because let's face it, things there's nothing automatic in this world. There's nothing immediate in the kingdom of heaven. Everything takes time. 
Even though the Bible says that God is the God of the suddenlies, yes, he's the God of the suddenlies, but it took 10 years for that suddenly to finally happen, right? We have to be patient. And that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Is to be patient. Be patient. Um, I'll tell you this. We're in it for the long haul. In, in church, whenever we're together, uh, we're gathered together. We're living life together. And it, we're in this for the lifetime. Do you think if my kids don't do what they're supposed to do, I'm just throwing my hands up and say, I give up on you guys. No, I'm in it for a lifetime. I'll be their dad until the day I die. <laughs> and I will be trying to pour into them, encourage them, confront them if I need to until the day I die. When you, when you come and mentor somebody, you're in it for a lifetime. When you come to disciple somebody, you're in it for a lifetime. We need to see things that way. We need to be patient. I thank God for examples of faith of people that didn't get things immediately but had to wait literally a lifetime. I thank God that, that he gave us the example of Abraham. A hundred years old before he finally had a child. Read it for yourself. It's just an amazing story. Thank God that God didn't say, you know what? If you have faith, it's going to happen for you that way. That's not what God ever said or did. Everything that people had faith for took time. I thank God that he gave us an example like Moses, 80 years old before he ever did something big for God or powerful or impactful. I thank God for people like David who, yes, earlier on, he was in his 30s when he finally became king, but it took time, pain, and agony before he got to that place. God shows us that faith means that you're patient, you're willing to take your time. And then item number four, reaction number four, Jesus says to this lady, it isn't right for the child to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. In essence, calling her a dog, just to test her. He loved this lady. He loved her with all his heart. Jesus loves all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you, but sometimes the enemy's in there whispering, saying, he doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would do this. If he loved you, he wouldn't have let that happen. If he loved you, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, you're thinking, God doesn't love me. And you're thinking, I don't deserve this because I messed up and messed up and messed up some more. And I don't deserve this. And I don't count. And I'm just another number. And is your faith going to stand that test? Where you say, that was cool, man. (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought it was Sarah. I was going to be mean to her. Um, Let me tell you what. Is your faith going to stand the test of feeling like you don't deserve something from God? Or are you going to be able to push past that screen as well? Don't ever, ever let your faith fail because you think you don't deserve something from God. That's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) That's not true. He paid the punishment for all that I've done, all that you've done. And he's here with open arms saying, come in accept, accept, receive, receive. It's free. I paid the price. You can come take all you want and I'm going to give you all that you want. Is your faith going to stand the test of feeling like you don't deserve something from God, that you're just a dog at his table? No, he's saying, come up here, my son. Come up here, my daughter. Sit at my table. I want you to receive everything that I have for you. I want you to receive everything that I have for you. And in this, one of the most important things that we can do is begin to establish our identity in Jesus Christ. 
My identity is not my position at work. My identity is not my last name. My identity is not that I'm my dad's son. My identity is not if I'm popular, smart, handsome, wealthy. My identity is only in Jesus Christ. And see, when I establish myself as a son, not myself, as God establishes me as his son, I can't be shaken by circumstances anymore. My faith is going to be strong through thick or through thin. I establish I'm a son of God. And see, when I'm a son of the king, I'm going to start walking differently. I'm going to start talking differently. I'm going to start believing differently. I'm going to start acting differently. I'm going to behave differently. And when people come against me, it doesn't matter because I know who I am and I know whose I am. I belong to Jesus powerful faith whenever you start believing and knowing that reality, that eternal fact. So listen to some of these statements that come loosely from the Bible, okay? The concepts are very much there in the Bible, so I'm not quoting scripture, but listen to these statements. I am a child of the living God. No thing and no one can snatch me out of his hand. Isn't that awesome? My identity is in Christ. You can do what you do, say what you say. My faith is in Jesus Christ, and it's not going to be shaken. Look at this. His grace covers all my sin, guilt, and failure. His grace covers it all. He's forgotten about it. Why can't I forget about it as well? He's forgotten about it. Praise God. I place, here's another statement. I place my hope in his shed blood that serves as an anchor for my hope. All right? His blood, shed blood serves as my anchor for my soul. You know what an anchor is? It's the wind starts pulling you, you don't move because you're anchored to something. God, his blood, Jesus' blood for me is my anchor. Listen to this other statement. I am endlessly loved by God. I have jumped in to the deep side of the ocean, into the love of his ocean, and I'm going to drown there. I'm going to drown there. That picture came to me eight months ago, and I'll never forget it. I'll never stop quoting it. I'll never stop thinking about it. I'm going to drown in God's, God's love. No temptation is going to draw me out of his love. No fear is going to draw me out of his love. No addiction is going to draw me out of his love. I'm staying there. You can do whatever you want to. You can stand on the seashore and look at the love of God, or you can jump in and receive the love of God. It's up to you. It's there. It's offered to you. Will you take it or will you not take it? God, here's the last statement. God himself has saved me and I am safe with him. To be saved is to be safe. Praise God. So every time you have those fears come crawling up wherever into your head, you say, no, I'm safe because I've been saved by God. So those four things, spiritual silence, is that going to stop your faith? People failing you, is that going to stop your faith? Waiting for God's sovereign timing that seems like 100 years, is that going to stop your faith? Or is thinking that God doesn't love you and that you're undeserving, is that going to stop your faith? What is going to stop your faith? <laughs> uh, there's two people, by the way, whose faith seemed to amaze Jesus. There's this Roman centurion, I'm not going to go over that story. He amazed Jesus with his faith. And then there was this this, uh, this lady, she amazed Jesus with his faith. What was the common thread between the two? Well, 
so that you don't have to think about it too long. I'll tell you what I've, I've found. All right? They were both Gentiles. They were both non-Jewish people. They were both people that didn't know much about God. They didn't know much about religion. They didn't know much about anything. There was not the Bible at that time, but they just didn't know much. But when Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to do something, they believed him. That was a difference. And you know what I've found is that adults, Christian adults, people who've been Christians for a while, their faith seems to dwindle after a while. If God says something, they're, God's going to do something, they say, I'm not sure if God's going to do it. I don't know if God really, you know, it's taken so long. But I get a teenager, and let me tell you what, in two weeks, three weeks, they've received from the Lord, they believe God, and they're, they're going on with God. We had this one girl tell us just, I think, last week. She said, I had a lot of problems. She's only been coming like six weeks. She said, I had a lot of problems, but I, all my problems are taken care of now. She believes God. Why can't you and I do the same thing? We need childlike faith. In fact, Jesus said it in, in Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What, is, what was he saying? He said, you need a childlike faith. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Believe it, receive it, and live that way. Live in free faith, man. I'm an open cup. Whatever God pours into me, I'll just go ahead and take that. If he promises something, I'm going to receive it in advance. And the Bible says he's the one that calls those things which be not as though they were. And if God's that way, I need to start being that way as well. Just believing God. So I've noticed this about children and teens. Man, they just receive God just like that. But as adults, man, we're slower. We're cynical. We've been bruised by life a couple of times, you know. It's time to stop being that way. Childlike faith. In fact, I'll tell you, you know what? We, need to, we, we can't forget what it was like to be a child, right? You can't forget what it's like to, be like to to be like a child. So I got four kids. We watch YouTube, what, 70% of the time, TV the rest of the time. So that's the kind of the shift for all of us, you know, Generation X and baby boomers. We can't even comprehend how that's feasible. But what we've observed about YouTubers is... These are people that just kind of video themselves or have somebody video, video them. Uh, is the ones that have, act kind of childish, they're the ones that are funnest to watch. You know, they're crazy. They're doing this, they're doing that. And here they are 28 years old or 30 or 40 years old. They haven't forgotten what it is to be a child. We can't forget what it's like to be a child either, physically or spiritually. If you have to be so mature that you can't relate to a teenager or a young adult, you've lost something very significant and very important. I tell you what, Jesus said, bring the children to me. He was, he was in tune with their needs, and he was in tune with adults needing to be more childlike at times. I'm not saying to be irresponsible, but I'll tell you what, and I'm going to go off a little bit here. I polled the kids last time, last Sunday. I got to be in kids' church on Father's Day. And I asked the kids these questions, or this question. I said, it's Father's Day. What would, what would you tell your parents? If you could tell them anything, what would you tell your parents? And here were some of their answers. Uh, one of them said, I like it when I'm treated like a good kid. <laughs> I like it when I'm treated like a good kid. Well, please remember when you were a child, you probably liked to be treated like a good kid too. Even when you were a bad kid, 
But these goofy, harsh, brutal people think as soon as you're treat as soon as you're a bad kid, you should be treated like a bad kid, and that's so counterproductive. Think of how it worked out for you when they treated you bad; it just made you worse. At least it did with me. <laughs> you're gonna act like I'm bad, then I will be bad. All right? They like to be treated like good kids. And for you grandparents who are thinking this doesn't apply to me, use this as you're coaching your own kids to be better parents. This is for all of us. All right, all of us. And if you don't have kids and intend to never have kids, well, bless the kids that you come into contact with these concepts, all right? It says, uh, one of them said, I like it when my dad laughs and has fun. (laughs) Have fun. Lighten up a little bit. Enjoy life. Kids react to that. They're attracted to that. And God wants you to be that way anyways. Look at this. Another one said, I like it when my dad helps me. Well, duh. <laughs> why don't we help our kids more? Why don't we help? Forget the kids. Why don't we help each other more? All of us would say that. I like it when people help me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be helpful to one another, but especially parents with their kids. And so here's some parenting lessons. And again, along this vein of not forgetting what it is to be like children and being having a childlike faith. Here's some parenting lessons Tina and I have learned over the course of 19 years of having kids. By the way, it's funny. We had one kid. We're always worried. Oh no, he's going to bang his head. He's going to, you know, he's going to break this. He's going to hurt himself. Number two came along. We're like, he survived. She'll be all right. You know, you kind of lighten up a little bit and let them just kind of run and hurt themselves a little bit, clean up the blood and and move forward. (laughs) Then number three came along and we're like, look, they've just outnumbered us. There's three of them and two of us. And we went back to that kind of anxious thing. And then when fourth, the fourth one came, it was just complete pandemonium. So, um, so here's some lessons over those, those uh, 19 years that we've had of, of memories of me being a child and memories of us raising children. Um, here's, here's one. This is so important. And I know we don't have a ton of parents here. But this is for all of us. Listen to this. We have not accelerated our kids' lives into adulthood. This is not a race to get kids to be adults. (laughs) Let them be children. (laughs) Let them enjoy life. One day they will be an adult, and they'll never, ever stop being able to be an adult from that point forward. I told one of my kids, man... That you know, it's getting closer and closer. Adulthood's getting enjoy it. <laughs> it's easy now. It's gonna get harder later. You'll have fun then as well, but enjoy being a kid. Now, this whole concept of the magical 18th birthday, I, I don't understand that. I mean, some kids are closer to adulthood, but some kids are super hyper immature at 18 years of age and have no business thinking of themselves as an adult and they need to be protected from themselves still, right? I mean, this, every kid matures differently. And here's what I've found in life. This has happened over and over again. I've found that the late bloomers are the best leaders, right? If, if you will just let a kid grow at their own pace, they will turn, blossom into a strong, mature adult that can take on all kinds. But if you're forcing a kid out the door when he's 17, 18 years old, 
they, it might be a complete fiasco. It might blow up in your face. Let kids grow. Each of my kids have grown at a different pace, emotionally, physically, spiritually, every school-wise. Let Just watch them. Know your kids so well and, and let them just grow at their own pace. This is not a competition. Um, here's another thing we've learned. We let our kids have downtime. It's perfectly okay to sleep in some days. Amen? All right, so if, if I have, if God said, work six days and take one day off, did he mean that just for adults? Or did he mean it for kids too? Let your kids have a little bit of downtime. I thank God my parents let me have some downtime. Video games aren't wrong. It's okay for your kids to play video games sometimes. I'll even tell mine, hey, go upstairs and play video games. All right? It's all right for them to relax a little bit. They need it just like you need it. They're no different. So we've learned that. Because um, there's times when you think, my, my girls were in club volleyball, or both of you or just one of you? Panthers. Well, it was sort, sort of club volleyball. So the sports thing is just out of control these days. I mean, they, people want their kids to be in sports. I'm not talking to anybody, all right? <laughs> but it is a little out of control. I mean, uh, they're talking... They were talking, I'll just talk about my family. They were talking to my girls in sixth grade about how important volleyball was for scholarships in college. I'm like, this is insanity, all right? I don't, God's going to take care of their college. <laughs> all right, so don't, don't be pushing, pushing, pushing your kids. Here, here's another one. Um, we tried to use positive reinforcement. Have you ever heard the Pareto principle? 80% of the time, positive. Discipline. Uh, 20% of the time. So 80% of the time, you see moments of brilliance and praise them, praise them, praise them, praise them. If they do something wrong, well, tell them, don't do this. But when they do something right, really, really reinforce that. Because let me tell you what, the only way any, any human being learns in life is through experience. That is the only true mechanism for learning is experience. The only way you can tell a kid something's hot, but until they touch it and feel it and know it's hot, they're going to know what hot means. So experience is the greatest teacher. So use positive reinforcement. Um, does that mean I don't believe in spanking? Absolutely, I believe in spanking. If it ever becomes outlawed in this country, I'm going to jail. I mean, I've stopped spanking my kids. But when they were little, swat them on the little fanny and get them back on the straight and narrow. I mean, there's, it's okay. But that's different. Let me tell you what. Punishment and discipline are two completely different things. I don't know that I've ever punished my kids, but I have disciplined my kids. And why is that? God hasn't punished me. Did you hear that? He took the punishment for me, and all he does is discipline me because he loves me. Discipline is good. Punishment is not good. All right? God doesn't punish. He disciplines all right. Now, one day when we're standing before the judgment throne and we're having to give an account for our lives, there will be punishment for those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the punishment. But in this day and age, in the day of the grace of God, of, of Christ dying on the cross for us, there is no condemnation. There is no punishment. The only condemnation you're ever going to suffer in this life is self condemnation. It's the choice to turn away from Jesus and condemn yourself. He's not condemning you at this point in time. 
The Bible's very clear about that. And so uh, we don't punish. We certainly don't yell and show anger at our kids. I tried it once, and I did it purposely. They made me mad, so I thought, you know what? This time I'm going to show some anger. So I showed some anger at my four little kids. Their, their faces were all paralyzed. And I thought, well, you know what? That kind of worked pretty well. I'm going to try that again. I did it. Some, they made me mad about something else a day later. I showed anger, and their little faces just were like, okay, you did that once. No big problem. That's what, that's what anger and yelling does. It shuts kids down to where they don't even listen to you. They just develop a thick skin, and you're of no consequence to them. So yell away. It doesn't do any good. It's very, very harmful to yell at kids. We apologize to our kids frequently. Why? Because I make mistakes frequently with my kids. I've apologized to them since as early as they can remember. Whenever I make a mistake, I apologize. And see... If, if you start creating this elitist approach to things and saying, I'm the parent, I know everything, you're the kid, you're stupid, you don't know anything, that's very counterproductive. Apologize when you do something wrong to your kids. Apologize to them. And, um, and then uh, we, we tell them not to compete with others. We haven't said this, but we've demonstrated. Don't compete with others. Compete with yourself. Compete with yourself. Whatever you did yesterday, do it a little bit better. Do it a little bit better. And then lastly, love Love them, spend time with them, have fun with them, mentor them, and be patient with them. Isn't that what God has done for us? <laughs> Isn't that what God has done for us? So um, there's not enough time to finish all of this. Let me just hit the high points and we'll be done. Jesus turned to this lady and, she, and he said, Woman, you have great faith. And that picture of greatness is the picture of a bodybuilder. A bodybuilder is strong and big. A bodybuilder is strong and big. And he was telling this lady, your, your faith is not only, it's not only big, it's strong. You have very strong faith. Uh, different from what he told his disciples, you of little faith. <laughs> you of little puny faith. And so let me just ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is your faith? Just stop right now and think. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is my faith? Is it a 5 is it a two? Is it an eight? Is it a nine? And I want to ask you this question. What is it going to take for you to stop gathering in this church? What, what event is it going to take for you to stop gathering in this church? Is it going to take somebody saying something hurtful to you? Is it going to take being, you know, hard to get up on Sunday mornings? What is it going to take for you to stop going to this church? Busyness, Maybe you don't like the style of music. Maybe you don't like the lights hanging from the ceiling. Maybe it's hurt feelings, sickness. We've seen people drag themselves into this church. They're sick. They didn't let that stop them. Maybe they should have because now we're all going to get sick. But you know what? You didn't let it stop you. All right? You didn't let it stop you. Hurt feelings, financial catastrophe, embarrassment. Is embarrassment going to keep you from coming to church? No, don't let it come. Don't, don't let it keep you. Depression, slightly disagreement with the preacher. <laughs> you know, I don't like what he said. I don't totally agree with him. All right, well, let's not major on the minors. All right? What is it going to take for you to stop reading your Bible? Think about that. Maybe you don't read your Bible and you said, well, it already beat me. What is it going to take for you to start reading your Bible again and having family devotions again? And get back into the habit of pouring into your kids again, your grandkids again. What is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to stop praying? Getting mad at God? I've gotten mad at God, but I kept on praying. All right? You, you don't let that kind of stuff stop you. 
You just get, you, you keep on going. It says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. We're talking about faith here. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And in, in, the, in the Greek, this is the rhema word of Christ. That's hearing from the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible even. But here's the last point I want to make just really quick. Faith is exhibited through faithfulness. All right? So someone who consistently reads the Bible, you don't, don't ever shoot for every day. I, I think that's wrong because <laughs> then it just becomes legalistic. But most every day, you're reading your Bible, all right? That shows you're faithful. That means you're full of faith. You're full of faith. Why do people come in to this church three times a week? They have, they're full of faith. They've got a lot of faith in them. Therefore, they're faithful, all right? Why do people go and visit others in the hospital or homebound folks? They're faithful. Why? Because they have faith. And I just want to give you a quick example. Stephen, this guy in Acts 6, 5, uh, they were trying to find some folks to be faithful in helping with the widows at that time. And it says of Stephen, this guy, it says, a man full of faith. Well, because he was full of faith, he was faithful and served the food to the widows. He was faithful in the church, and he was faithful in speaking the truth that got him martyred. Why? He was full of faith, like this, this uh, Canaanite woman. She's full of faith, therefore she was faithful. So, if you're ever thinking, I don't have much faith, I can't believe God, it's too hard but you're cranking out and reading the Bible all the time and you're serving and you're blessing others, you got more faith than you think you do because you're faithful. Does that make sense? We got to connect faith with faithful action, with faithful works that we have. I'm going to stop there. End with one scripture, Luke 18.8. It says, however, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? I pray that he does pray that he finds a lot of faith here on earth. Let's pray.